0: This is the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast. What would it take for you to double your profits and half your stress with your intuition? Learn how with your host, Michael Light.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm here today with Edie Weinstein amazing conscious entrepreneur, best-selling author and journalist, therapist, and interfaith minister. And we have some amazing topics around business intuition we're going to cover. How she got started using intuition in her business after she'd been stuck on not using it, how she learned to trust her gut, um, how she learned to love being a businesswoman when she didn't really love it when she started, uh, how to express those intuitive hunches you have when you're talking with clients who don't understand intuition um, and different ways she gets intuitive messages, how you can tell the difference between good guidance, your ego and psychotic voices in your head um, and why being a good listener is key for being an entrepreneur and listening with both your ears and your heart. So welcome Edie.
0: Hi, it's lovely to to I haven't seen you in years. So it's, I can I can imagine hugging you right now. So it, you know, I'm I'm here in Pennsylvania and you're in in Peru. It just blows my mind that we're having this conversation.
1: It is so how did you get started using intuition in your business? You said when you first started in business, I guess that was 38 years ago maybe or quite a while ago. Well, you, quite you didn't use your intuition.
0: How how come? Well, well, first of all, 38 years ago is when I first started being a counselor. Um, I was in undergrad and actually that was probably a seed planting time in my life. I worked, I was getting a degree in psychology and I was working at a crisis intervention center. And around that time is when I learned to meditate, when I learned to trust the information that was coming to me, where I learned to hone my therapy skills. I am a licensed social worker and I work with clients uh, both on an inpatient psychiatric level. I, I've worked in a psychiatric hospital. I've done outpatient counseling. I have an outpatient um, private practice now. And the seeds were germinating back then. In 1988, my husband Michael and I created a magazine called Visions. had to do with holistic health and wellness. And we inter- I interviewed a lot of the movers and shakers in the spiritual field, you know, all of the the transformational teachers, many are still out there. And part of my job was selling ads, which I hated, because it felt like I had to try to persuade people to do something they weren't inclined to do. What I didn't understand back then was that business, no matter what it is, is about relationship. Because when somebody knows, likes and trusts you, they're more inclined to want to do business with you. And my husband died in 1998. And a few six months prior to that, we sold the magazine. I became, um, uh, more of an entrepreneur is how I would describe it. A conscious, socially conscious entrepreneur, um, after that and, uh, became a freelance journalist. So, I learned to love being a businesswoman when I realized, again, it was all about relationships. And I learned to trust the messages that were coming through, partly as a result of the the work that I did as a therapist and the, the books that I've read by a lot of these, you know, the transformational teachers. So that's how I got started with this.
1: So it sounds like your husband dying was actually instrumental in you stepping up and using your intuition in your business and not just in other parts of your life.
0: Absolutely. Uh, part of it was that we had an interesting relationship. Intuition actually played a part in our meeting. I just want to share a brief story about that. And this is about listening to the guidance in 1987, 86? 80, 86, 86. In 1986, I was planning on going to Russia with a group of spiritual teachers, including Alan Cohen, who wrote The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore and 20, however many other books. And he was bringing a group of Americans to Russia on a citizens diplomacy mission. And at the time, the Cold War was still going on and he wanted the Russian people to know that we weren't the enemy and they wanted us to know that they weren't the enemy. So I planned on going on the trip, put down my deposit. The trip was scheduled October 12th through the 25th. 5th of 1986. And shortly after I heard the voice, which is what I, you know, what I call it now. And when we were talking about being able to tell the difference, um, having worked in a psychiatric hospital, I do know the difference between psychotic voices that tell people to do harmful things and the voice of God, spirit, intuition, guidance, whatever you want to call it. And it is very grounded. It's not cosmic foo-foo stuff. But the voice with a capital V said, no, you're not supposed to go to Russia now. You're supposed to be in Philadelphia. And I did one of those cartoon character Scooby-Doo kind of head shakes. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I already put down my deposit. They're going to think I'm crazy if I can it. And the voice repeated. And I said, but I'll be my 28th birthday in the home of some of my ancestors. You know, my grandparents came from Russia and the voice repeated, but I don't live in Philadelphia and the voice repeated. So finally I said, all right, you're not going to give up until I cancel this trip, right? Spirit gave me the thumbs up. You bet. (laughs) So I canceled the trip, completely forgot about the conversation. On October 24th, I'm in a car heading to Philadelphia with friends to hear Ram Das speak. And for those that don't know, Ram Dass is an amazing spiritual teacher. Um, used to be Richard Albert, um, a, a um, psychologist, who was at I don't know, it was Harvard or Yale, I think Harvard, and uh, he became a, a, an amazing spiritual teacher. Be Here Now, I think, is one of his, is his best known book. So anyway, we went to hear Ram Dass speak. During the intermission, a mutual friend named Uta Arnold introduced Michael and me. Michael was my husband, and had he um, had i gone on the trip i wouldn't have been there that night he was scheduled to take a workshop with me at a conference two weeks down the road had i gone on the trip i would not have been teaching that workshop i would have been talking about my trip and he wasn't particularly interested in that topic excuse me so by listening to my intuition i canceled my trip to russia excuse me clearing my throat here um canceled my trip to russia went to philadelphia met my husband We got married. Um, We created Visions magazine, which we published for 10 years, helped me home my intuition. And frankly, you and I wouldn't probably be talking right now had those events not happened. So that's one thing I encourage people to do is to look at what I call the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb trail. Look back to I met this person because I had this experience, even if it wasn't fun you know, watching my husband die over a six-year period from hepatitis C was not something I ever anticipated, but as a result of that, it helped me to have a deeper spiritual connection. I also became an interfaith minister after he died. He was the one seminary, and he had been going to the new seminary in New York. When life support was turned off in the ICU, when he was dying waiting for a liver transplant that never happened, the voice came back and said, call the seminary and ask to finish what Michael started. And I did, and I became ordained instead. I completed the program and became ordained. So listening to those voices, even if they seem absurd, has gotten me to where I am now.
1: And that's without, you didn't necessarily know why you were getting that message at the time, but you still trusted it and, uh, well, maybe trusted it on the third time it was repeated to you.
0: (laughs) Right, <laughs> um, yeah. And took some action. <laughs> I'm a hard sell myself sometimes, yes. And, yeah, and, and that's what inspired action, I love that term.
1: Yes, it, it is good, because the inspiration, the intuition inspired the action. And the more we take inspired action, the more we get to hear our intuition, and the more we trust it. So, I mean, that's a sign of trusting your intuition, that you take action on it. Um, and it's okay to ask questions uh, of your intuition, you know, you... you you don't just have, and, and it's okay not to follow your intuition. You know, you're the one in charge just because your intuition tells you something because it thinks it might make you happier doesn't mean you have to do that. Just like the, when we're on a diet, you know, we can choose to eat pizza one day because we want to eat pizza, even <laughs> though pizza isn't on the diet, <laughs> right. you know, we're free right. will beings.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with it, that, you know, acknowledging the free will has a, a huge amount to do with it. Yeah. That we're, so we're not I want to, I want
1: to, I want to come back to that. How to tell the difference between good guidance, your ego and psychotic voices. Cause I think a lot of mm-hmm. people have difficulty with that. I mean, hopefully not too many of our listeners have psychotic, crazy voices <laughs> in their head, but sometimes <laughs> hey, there's that hey. worry that when you, you get a message or you hear a voice, you know, am I going crazy? How, how do you know mm-hmm. you're not crazy?
0: Well, I have a dialogue with it. One of the things that, that I would say, like, just as an example, when I worked at the psychiatric hospital, there was a woman there who said that um, she believed she was an angel and that her father who had died told her she needed to come to the hospital to help people. And I said, okay, let's clarify. Does being an angel mean that you can stand on top of a building and fly and you, and you won't get hurt? And she said, no. I said, good. Okay, check that one off the list. What if your father wanted you to come to the hospital because he thought that that was the only way to get you there to get help. And she said, maybe. And I said, can you be a human being and still help people? And she said, yes. So I wasn't taking away her belief and I wasn't in any way being critical of what she thought was true. I was establishing a sense of safety with her, for her and with her. I was asking if being human was enough. And I was validating the fact that she could very well have been talking to her dead father, and that might be shocking for some mainstream business people to hear. But how, I don't know statistically how many people have a spiritual belief or how many people pray. Why would we not expect a response? So that's one way that I, I you know, I talk to the voices. Then and then another situation, somebody said that they were hearing voices. And I said, what are the voices telling you? Um, Stop using cocaine and be nice to my brother. I said, okay, that's good. We'll go with that one too. So I think that if the voices are telling you to do something positive, that it's worth a listen, and if it's telling you to do something harmful to yourself or somebody else, then it would be a good idea to work that through with a professional who who can help you to understand why that might not be such a good thing to do. And the ego part, that for me is even more challenging because I want what I want when I want it. Don't you? (laughs) You
1: Absolutely.
0: Don't our listeners want what they want when they want it? Uh, But what we sometimes not getting what we want is a good thing. I think about all of the relationships that have started in my life because I didn't end up in a relationship with someone else. I think about all the jobs that I've had. Now, I call myself um, professionally polyamorous. I have so many overlapping jobs. I don't know how I juggle them all. And and I've never in my life that, that I can remember have had more, have had only one job. So I think about You know, my ego wants me to have this job or this experience or this person in my life. But my higher self, my intuition, guidance, whatever you want to call it says, well, how about if we steer you in this direction instead, because you don't know what adventure is awaiting you. So question everything. I'm not saying second guess, but question it like, okay, tell me, use the term WWIUT. What would it take? I've started using that myself every day and with my clients, and it's brilliant. So what would it take for me to be okay with not getting this particular job or this particular relationship? So it's about having a dialogue. Oh, here's a, here's a cool exercise to do. Um, Whether or not you're a therapist or a coach or a guide of any kind, imagine your wisest self inviting you into a beautiful office space or a healing haven. And you have a conversation with that part of you that just knows stuff that, you know, doesn't second guess that just has intuitive hits about things and say, okay, wise self, higher self, what do you want me to do with this? You know, you, this rug got pulled out from under me. Am I going to stay on my butt or how am I going to get back up and keep on keeping on? So that for me is how I can tell the difference that if I'm, if I'm able to have a conversation and come to some at least temporary solution, then I feel like it's it's my intuition at work, and it it's, it stops being a tug of war. Like, come on, God or whatever you know, whoever you are, how come you won't let me have this? It's not fair. I mean, have you like have you ever had temper tantrums? Like, oh come on, you know what is this about? This isn't fair. I don't like this. <laughs> you know?
1: So that, those are some great ways to tell the difference, you know, what, what kind of voices or guidance you're getting. And, and when we say voices, that may be messages coming other ways because everyone hears their intuition different ways. They might be voices, they might see things, they might notice coincidences in their life, um, all kinds of ways. Um, and, what you know, my belief is that all the voices that people hear, whether they're guidance from angels, their higher self, God, or, or they're crazy voices. they're all connections to the spirit realm. But in the case of the psychotic voices, they're coming from spiritual entities that have a lower vibration. They're, they're not of a high vibration like love or gratitude. They're you know more around greed or pride or some or fear or some other lower vibration. And that's the way I tell. Um, you know I, I ask my higher self, is is this voice? You know, is the entity this voice is coming from? Is it? Has it have a high vibration? Does it have a vibration higher than love? And if it doesn't, I kick it out of my uh, psychic um, headspace. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the one who decides what guides I have, not the guides.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. And and the how how people can tell, or at least how I can tell whether it's love. Uh, goosebumps are my truth barometer. If I hear something that somebody says. And it resonates for me like, oh, yeah, that's that's the truth as I know it. And we all have I mean, for me, that's truth with a capital T um, indisputable. This feels right. If I have oh kind of feelings in my stomach, like, oh, this isn't feeling so good. Then I know that it's not a vibration that I, you know, that I want to tap into. And again, vibration is one of those cosmic fufu buzzwords for a lot of people. But think about it. Energy vibrates. And I know we're, we're taught the things that look solid are really not solid; they're energy vibrating. So, you know, we use the term "getting a good vibe" or "I can vibe with that person." It's not just a made-up word. So, if I have butterflies in my stomach, I think, "Okay, are these the good butterflies that I'm, that I'm really enjoying something like anticipation, or are they heavy-weighted, dreading? Oh God, this doesn't feel so good." So, I that check be, in with uh, my body. That would be drunken
1: butterflies, I think.
0: <laughs> drunken butterflies. Well, it's like the drunken monkey concept. You know, the, the meditation, drunken monkey, you know, the, that our minds lurch around like drunken monkeys. Um, mm. So I do my best that ex- to feed the monkeys that ex- bananas. <laughs>
1: that explains why the drunken monkeys are peeing all over my brain. You know? uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> yeah, that does. So, I, I'm also curious, you, you mentioned when you're working in your business, you've, you've learned to read body language or voice mm-hmm. inflections of your mm-hmm. clients or, or the staff mm-hmm. you work with. How, how did you learn to do that? And why is it useful to a business person?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think I learned it when I was a child. I was a highly intuitive child. Also, unfortunately, codependent, people pleaser, you know, savior behavior kind of child. So I learned to read people and give them what they wanted, even before they asked for it. I didn't know I was doing it at the time. But in retrospect, I look, you know, I look at it and say, okay, that's what I was doing. And as I honed my therapeutic skills, I learned to observe, you know, to be a keen observer of human behavior. I think that's one reason why I became a therapist is that I always fascinated with what makes people tick, myself included. So I watch, I listen, not just with my ears. I listen with the ears of my heart. I watch, you know, I observe with my heart. And I don't just mean the cardiac muscle. I mean, the, you know, the, the part of ourselves, we call it the heart chakra, call it, you know, our emotional selves. And I can tell if somebody is uncomfortable with something I'm saying or doing. And as a business person, if you're trying to—I don't, I don't even like the term "close a deal," but if you're trying to um, engage in a business relationship with someone, you need to know who you're dealing with, who you, you know, who you're working with. And as I mentioned earlier, it's all about relationships. If I trust you, I'm going to want to invest my time and money and energy by working with you, and If I get a good feeling about working with you, then I'm going to want to do it even longer. And if I'm sitting with someone, I get a sense of how they're feeling, what they're, you know, what they're thinking. And it's practice, like any skill. I I know you practice yoga and you're probably a lot better at it now than you were when you first started. Me too. And it's like any skill. It becomes finally honed. And it's trusting that you know what you're doing. And, I mean, you can tell if you're sitting opposite somebody and their arms are folded in front of them and they're grimacing, that's a pretty – that's a no-brainer. That's pretty easy to know that they're they're kind of closed off. You may not know why, but that it's it's a self-protective posture that they're in. Yeah, or they have a bad toothache, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but but you can ask. Like we had said earlier, like before this call, we were talking about how – I use the intuition in, in therapeutic or in business situations. I'll say, you know what? Something tells me to say this to you and it may sound totally off the wall, but I'm just going to go for it anyway. And it, it's not a way of tap dancing around it, but it's a way of giving them an opportunity to say yes or no. This makes sense or doesn't make sense. You know, like I'm, I'm sensing that you are, you may be experiencing this or remembering that. Now I don't call my a psychic. Uh, I have a lot of very talented psychic friends, and I'm sure you do too, and maybe some of your listeners do, who are so confident in their abilities that they hang up a shingle. I'm not there. You know, I would call myself an intuitive therapist. And after 38 years, hopefully, I've I've earned my chops. <laughs> you know, to call myself that. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm using all. We talked about this too. Using all the clairs. You know, the clairvoyant, clairaudient, um, You know, all of those things. And I get messages sometimes in dreams. Sometimes I hear people telling me, like the voices that I mentioned earlier. My parents have both passed. Sometimes I hear them in my head saying, uh, "My dad would call me baby doll or doll doll baby. He called every every woman doll baby, and my mother would call me baby cakes." So, if I hear messages from them, it's usually good guidance. Always good guidance. So it's it's just trusting the uh, the source of the guidance.
1: So. What when you're getting these messages, you know? Do you just let them come into you, or is it important to write them down? Or and if so, why?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I do write them down because, as a 58 year old woman um, with you know the, the brain hard drive getting full, I call them sometimes. I call them my middle age moments or my wise woman moments. And because ideally, the older we get, the wiser we get. And sometimes if I don't write them down, they kind of whisk away. So if I'm just as an example, if I'm in the car listening to national public radio and hearing a brilliant interview, and I'm thinking, oh, I want to write about that person, or I want to read their book, or, you know, everything for me as as a journalist is grist for the mill. It's a writing prompt. So if I don't write down what I want to write about, I sometimes forget. So people often ask me when I when I speak, when I do public speaking, can you repeat what you just said? And I sometimes say, no, I really can't. I have no clue what I just said. And, well, and I, I read you, the same
1: thing in um, Reinvent Yourself by James um, Alchusha. He said he gets a lot of ideas for articles he writes in the middle of the night. and He's learned to have a pad of paper by his bed with a pen, because if he doesn't write them down, if he tells himself, oh, yeah, I'll remember in the morning what the dream was or what the thought was, nine times out of ten, he does not remember.
0: Yeah, oh so yeah, So I think absolutely. that's great
1: that you do that. But also, uh, you know, if you, sometimes when we get these intuitive messages, it's, it's like we're channeling the spirit world into this mm-hmm. 3D world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And can you tell us a bit more about that and why it's important to take dictation when you get channeled messages?
0: Oh, absolutely. And again, channeling is one of those buzzwords that sometimes mainstream people cringe about, but think about that, that if you are a musician, sometimes you know, I've interviewed a number of musicians who will tell me that the song came through them, not from them. When I read some of the things that I've written over the years, and I've written for the Huffington Post, Beliefnet, Good Men Project, um, Elephant Journal, and, you know, Psych Central, uh, a number of of recovery websites. I look at that and I said, oh my God, who wrote that? I don't remember writing that. And sometimes uh, poets will tell you that too. Uh, inventors will say ideas came through them and they have no clue. Um, Julie Gold, who wrote the song From a Distance, uh, the, you know, the Bette Midler Made Famous, t- tells a story about how the song came through her fully written. And so where you know i have to pay attention to those messages and i know that if they're coming to me they need to be communicated as a writer i don't have the luxury of just keeping them to myself M- a lot of writers will tell you that they get writer's block i get writer's ones um it's like it's like <laughs> seriously it's what i call writers it's like shoop, comes straight through me i can't not write and I, I've often uh, referred to the muse as a persistent lover that it wakes me up in the middle of the night and you know it won't let me sleep until I do its bidding and that's kind maybe
1: of maybe you should works. take your muses Viagra away from it
0: you know I should I don't no, something's not. You know, I, you know. I make a deal with it now. I say, okay, I, I will write whatever you want me to write, but I need to sleep. You know, or well, I will start hearing psychotic. Thing. I will start can, hearing voices. Make,
1: <laughs> we can make agreements with our guides, and yes, I've yes. done that with uh you know spirit entities. I mean, I've done work on sending entities to the light. You know, that's when there's an entity or a ghost that had a death that wasn't pleasant perhaps and and they didn't know how to make it to the light or well, they felt bad about their life so they didn't think they deserved to go to the light and so I helped them do it now when I first started doing that they'd come to me 24/7 and I I got tired of it and I said look here are my office hours you want I'll help you do this <laughs> but you have to come between these hours
0: yeah oh yeah and Absolutely. it also
1: in return for me sending to light you need to give me something mm-hmm. so Bring me a new client to my business or bring me some money or bring me something joyful. And they do.
0: Well, it's a business relationship. That's the other thing to learn. Now, I'm in a field that may be unlike some of your listeners, uh, you know, being in the helping profession. We have learned for whatever reason, social workers, therapists, teachers, to undervalue ourselves. So we have a hard time asking for what our services are worth. And I worked with a coach a number of years ago who told me you need to ask for this amount of money for this particular service and you need to do it without stuttering. And I have, and it works. <laughs> you know, um, I remember seeing something on Facebook. Of, um, it was a social work website, and they were selling T-shirts or sweatshirts. And what it said on there was social work, in it for the outcome, not the income. I blew raspberries at that, like, oh, come on. That's why you know, we don't value ourselves. So when we value ourselves, we can make a deal with spirit. We can say, all right, you're using me for this, you know, for to do your good in the world and I need to sustain myself. I need to pay my bills. I have the same bills to pay as somebody who's in a mainstream business. Um, so, uh, you know, as conscious entrepreneurs, we have the right to be well compensated for what we do. And that's been something that's been a challenge for me. And I'm learning it. I'm practicing that now. And it doesn't have to mean That I'm cutthroat. People don't matter more to me than anything else. Every day as a conscious entrepreneur, I think, how is this action going to impact me and the world around me? None of us have the luxury of of not doing that.
1: I, I believe we're not business people occasionally having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings who have business experiences and we use our business as a vehicle for spiritual growth whether that's through the customers and staff we relate with or whether it's by the problems we overcome and clear you know, personal blocks we had in our, you know, in our, in our makeup. So so I, I have two more questions I want to ask you before we wrap up. Um, one is very common among entrepreneurs is that shiny object syndrome where we get distracted easily. And it sounds like you have a little bit of that, as do I. So how on earth do you manage to focus when you're getting all these intuitive messages and creative ideas constantly throughout Mm -hmm. the day?
0: Well, if I'm doing, I've I've learned to multitask. Ooh, look, a squirrel, you know, like I get distracted. Like, you know, there it goes over there. And I have to pull myself back. I have to remind myself that I can't give anything my, my best if I'm not focusing on it. So I imagine luring myself back in by saying, "All right, you finish this, then you can move on to the next thing." But if I get an idea, as I mentioned earlier, I need to jot it down. I need to save it in, you know, in the hard drive, my mental hard drive, or it is going to go the way of all wins And if it's something of value, it'll come back.
1: And that, and that way, you know, by writing it down, putting it in the uh, idea parking lot, as I sometimes call it. Um, which is a great thing to do if you're in a, in a business meeting and people come up with creative ideas, but they're not relevant to the topic of the meeting. Write them down on the side of the whiteboard in the idea parking lot. So they're acknowledged. And that works for ourselves too. We acknowledge the idea. We've put it down either in our getting things done to-do list or in a notepad or wherever. But now we can refocus on what it is we want to get done right now
0: hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I remember when you were still living in the States, we went to this. We were in the town that you lived in and we went to a parking lot and it had like an, it could tell you where there was an empty space. Do you remember that? Like there was a light overhead. So that that so it's no accident you're remembering, you know, that you help me remember that, that if we know that there are empty parking spaces in our minds, we can put things we can compartmentalize what what we're thinking, because if it all goes into one big mushy pile, then I can't sort it out. I could say, all right, this one goes into the Huffington Post parking lot, parking space. This one goes into a wedding ceremony I'm working on. This one goes into an editing job that I have. So we need to have separate parking spaces <laughs> for things to say, oh yeah, and I remember where that is. Um, so the ThinkLink um, is, is what a friend of mine calls it that I've started to use too. So if I forget something temporarily, I could say, okay, where was I when I first heard this? when I first got this inspiration, who, who said it to me? And then I'll remember, oh yeah, Michael said parking, you know, parking space that, that reminds and, me.
1: And some people, they don't write down these ideas. They dictate them into their phone or leave themselves a voicemail. So there are, there are many ways to do it, or you can use a mnemonic, mnemonic. I can't even say the word. Yes. Mnemonic. A memory. Yeah. Te- yeah, mnemonic, yeah. Thank you. Technique um to remember them which of course is what people did before we had books and and people knew how to write everyone remembered everything a few hundred years ago and a lot you know great skill to have so the and the other thing related to this is you know working on tasks during the day and two two things on this one thing i've used that works for me you know if if there's a lot of different things i could do I ask myself, what would it take to know the most profitable and joyful task to work on first today? And then I hear what my intuition says, you know, I've got 20 different things I could do, which are the ones is lighting up for me right now. And then I focus on that. And then the other thing I find helps me with focus is, is it's almost like there are two versions of myself. There's the organizing and managing person who kind of decides what I'm going to work on and then there's the creative crazy genius monkey mind who, who gets <laughs> the work done but like sometimes it helps to put blinders on the monkey like we do on racehorses so he doesn't get distracted so I close my email I close my Facebook I close all the programs I don't need to use on all the tabs on my browser that I don't need to use and I find it, it's a lot easier to focus then and, and sometimes I'll put um, headphones on and play kind of quotes boring music, you know, like techno or something. Mm-hmm. No, no insult to people who like techno and I <laughs> like techno, but it kind of quietens yeah. down the monkeys. It gives them something to listen to while I'm focusing on getting that task that's going to give me the most profit and joy. So those are some of the things that help me.
0: And I like that, the idea of profit and joy, because once again, those of us that are in the helping professions believe that the joy is more important than the profit. And it is both. It's not an an either or, it's a both and. And that's what I teach people too in in the work that I do. The other thing that I I hadn't mentioned to you, I call myself an optimistic, O-P-T-I-M-Y-S-I-C. And that came to me in an intuitive message. And I don't know if it was a dream or a meditation. And the voice said, um, you're not just an optimist, you're an optimistic who sees the world through the eyes of possibility, So as a conscious entrepreneur, we need to sharpen those eyes so that we can think, okay, what's possible? Not just what we're told is possible, but if there were no limits, what would be possible for us to accomplish?
1: I think that's a great way to see the world. And and I think that's what the what would it take question really opens up our minds to see, to see the possibilities instead of saying worrying about the problem or how will I solve it? It's like, what will it take? And it, you don't have to get lost in the weeds of the how or the the anxiousness of the worry about how will I overcome this difficult issue. So um, it's a very clever question. So what what I want to do talk about on the tasks, and this will be the final question. Sure. Um, you know why why is visioning the tasks you do during the day uh, help your day flow well? Because you mentioned you pre-plan your day and and envision and them and and i do that and a number of other entrepreneurs that are successful do that too so tell us
0: more about that sure well first of all we are such meaning making creatures that we, if we look forward to something it's going to hold our attention more and today as i explained i have a, a full day i had our interview then i have a client then i'm going to the gym then i have an appointment for a healing session for myself which which is also very important for, for conscious entrepreneurs to do, is to take care of ourselves because we're so busy taking care of other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I have um, another client this evening. So knowing all of that, I have to prepare for each thing that I'm doing. Um, I need to make sure that I'm seeing my client on time, Um, need to make sure I have my gym clothes, need to make sure that I have that person's um, address plugged into my GPS because I've never been there before for my, you know, for my own session. And because I'm pre-planning them, I, you know, I make sure I have enough time in between for transition. By the time I get to each one of them, they're already done. I just show up on stage and do those things. And it's not about, you know, you've heard the saying, we make plans and God, God laughs. Sometimes those things happen. Sometimes there's a delay. Um, so the more I practice forward thinking, I have no idea what, you know, what, to, what to call it. I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure there's a name for it. But the more I practice that, the easier it gets so that I don't have to worry about what's going to happen.
1: So, so this, that, that this isn't just this isn't just planning out the 3D details of bring gym clothes. It's envisioning going to the gym being easy and graceful, and everything just goes good, and you have a wonderful workout. And I I've heard that called a lot of things. I know in the book "Asking it, It's Given" by Abraham Hicks, they call it segment in, intent.
0: So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: creating an intent and expressing it with emotion uh, and powerful words and And either doing it at the beginning of the day and or just before the the thing happens, so if I'm yeah, having a sales absolutely. call or for this podcast interview, we set an intention that we would have a great conversation, it would be growthful for both of us, and all the electronic communication would work good. Right. And so and it, it has.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely has and I'm, I'm thrilled so that you know our body it's almost like my body is prepared for the workout. Now I wish that I could think the, think the workout without having to do it sometimes because <laughs> well, I don't always have the time at, to get to the gym. But,
1: a, actually, that does work and uh, Olympic athletes vision you know you know whether they're running or if they're uh, you know in a shooting competition hitting the target. And they've done, scientists have done experiments that showed visualizing doing the exercise is as good or better than actually doing the exercise as far as muscle tone and performance. So you really can do that. You can visualize yourself doing the workout and it having a great effect. And it does, you know, if you can't make it to the workout one day because it's snowing or something. You really can visualize yourself doing it and it does have a positive effect. As does anything, you know, visualizing doing well on some test you have to take or visualizing a writing assignment going well, it goes better. Or, or visualizing the people reading the article you've written and getting a lot out of it and sharing it with their friends. That affects how many people read it and how much it gets
0: shared. Absolutely. So,
1: it, it's um, it's <laughs> blowing, really.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. And and having a mind blown wide open is a good thing. (laughs) So, um, you know, that's my intention today. Now, if people want to reach me, they can they can um, learn more about what I do through my website, which is called Optimistical O-P-T-I hyphen M-Y-S-T-I-C-A-L dot com. And they can get a sense of of what my work is about in the world. And I'm also very active on Facebook under Edie Weinstein, W-E-E-D-I-E-W-E. and i love connecting with people
1: well we'll put both those links and any other links you have in the show notes for this episode which can be found on intuitive leadership mastery.com and thank you so much ed for this amazing conversation today
0: my pleasure thank you so much big hugs from here Get strategies and show notes at intuitiveleadershipmastery.com. What would it take to see you here next time on the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast?